Hello and welcome to the Stuck Brain Podcast. All things mental health with a different approach. We look at the research, but we also discuss real life experience. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Stuck Brain Podcast. I am your host, Eric Osterland, and in this episode, I have a co-host named Pinky. She is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. If you want to know more about her, you can go to the stuckbrainpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. We will be discussing a topic that is universal to all human beings, and that is sleep. The average adult needs about seven to nine hours of sleep a night. Generally rings true for me. How about you, Eric? Actually, I need probably eight to ten. You need your beauty sleep, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it really does vary from person to person. And it can vary over your lifetime, too. There might be times in life where you do okay on six hours of sleep and other times in life where you need closer to eight or nine hours of sleep. But sleep is a little tricky to manage. It's, it's kind of like food. You can't live without it. You need it to function. And too little or too much can really contribute to significant health outcomes. And it's actually, studies have shown that regularly sleeping more than nine hours a night can contribute to the development of chronic illnesses such as diabetes. What's interesting is so does regularly not sleeping enough. So it, it really is worthwhile to invest time and energy into your sleep, especially if you think about it, you're spending about a third of your life sleeping. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that sleeping too much could be a problem as well. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. But apparently, if you're resting more than your body actually needs, you're contributing to the development of things like diabetes, metabolic disease, and it It generally contributes to you slowing down on a physical level as well. Interesting. So why is sleep important? A lot of things happen while we're sleeping. Our our bodies are healing, rejuvenating, and preparing for the next day. While we sleep, our hormone levels adjust, our muscles repair, our memory processes, and along with a lot of other bodily processes that are occurring. Lack of sleep can have a serious impact on our physical and mental health. Not getting adequate sleep can impact our hunger hormones and lead to overeating. Lack of sleep can also contribute to the development of high blood pressure, heart disease. And sleep loss actually potentiates catabolic stress, which means it can break down muscle tissue instead of repairing it. Yeah, I've heard of weightlifters waking up in the middle of the night. To actually have a protein shake and then go back to bed. To help repair their muscles? Yes, while they're wow. sleeping. Interesting. Yeah. And there's so there's still so much about sleep we don't know. It still kind of flabbergasts the scientific community. Why do we need sleep? What exactly is happening in the brain? And there's lots of theories around that. But I, I think the main point to be taken, you know, from this episode is that sleep is essential and and a, a good quality of sleep is essential to contribute to an overall good quality of life. Absolutely. And so today we're going to kind of go over the basics of how to get good quality sleep. Now, most of this stuff is is basic, but a lot of people that I see in my practice don't know it. So it's important that we go through it. And even if you've 
you are familiar with some of these concepts, it's nice to have a reminder, you know, into your everyday routine as to what might help you get better rest at night. With lack of sleep, you might find yourself struggling with concentration, which can lead to decreased productivity. It's easier to lose our cool in stressful situations with the lack of sleep. It contributes to struggling with attention, memory issues, and can even contribute to depressed mood and anxiety. So I think because we spend so much of our life sleeping, it's it's important and necessary for us to invest time and energy into into sleep, which is a healing process for us every night. Yeah. I mean, it does so much for us in multiple different ways that it's important that we at least investigate if it's a contributing factor to anxiety and depression or other medical illnesses. Absolutely. So let's go over some of the do's. What should we be doing to ensure a good night's rest? And it seems like the number one thing recommended by sleep experts is having a bedtime routine, making sure you're doing the same things at the same time every day. So going to bed and waking up, getting out of bed at the same time every day can reinforce your body's natural sleep-wake cycles. If you're going to bed more than two to three hours apart and waking up at different times than you do every day, your body has a harder time adjusting to that. Yeah, I noticed that for myself. I have a routine. I start to journal at night, and then I have a cup of sleepy time tea that's just chamomile and stuff like that. And I noticed that there's like a trigger. My brain goes, oh, we're getting ready for sleep. Kind of like Pavlov's dogs. It's conditioning. I'm telling my brain like, hey, it's time to produce that melatonin so I can fall asleep because I'm getting ready. And it sees these constant triggers. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And and so the bedtime routine, the things that you do, the sleepy time tea, the journaling, your body picks up on those signals. Like you said, hey, it's time to start shutting down and it'll start producing that melatonin, which is a hormone in your brain that is released towards the evening and nighttime to help you sleep. And so if you have those bedtime routines in place, that'll help trigger that melatonin release naturally. Now, I like that you mentioned the sleepy time tea and journaling. Experts do recommend that you engage in activities that are relaxing. So those examples, along with meditation, yoga, deep breathing, anything that can help put you in the mindset of shutting down and relaxing. Yeah. And there's a lot of apps out there, too, that can give you calming music. There's there's podcasts where the individual is really boring. Have you heard of those where they're super boring and they're supposed to help you get closer to falling asleep? No, but sounds very similar to when I was in college and I couldn't sleep. I would just pull out a big boring textbook and that usually did the job. Yeah, there's there's books. I have a book and I forgot the name of it, but it's all about that. It says boring stories to help you fall asleep. So you start to read it and then you're like, yeah, I'm out. And then you fall asleep. Okay, interesting. I'll have to check that out. So another thing that's important is is setting the mood. Your body needs to be comfortable to be able to shut down. If you're uncomfortable, you're more likely going to be on high alert or more vigilant and have a difficult time relaxing and going into that sleep mode. So one of the top most important things to do is check out the lighting and temperature of your room. They generally say if you hold out your hand in front of you, you shouldn't be able to see it. If you can see your hand, it's probably too light too much light in your room. 
Oh, that's interesting. That's a good way to put a visual cue if it's too much or too little. Now, myself, I honestly use an eye mask every night because any little light will it it disrupts my sleep. So, you know, if you need to use an eye mask, earplugs, anything to help put you into that mindset. Me, I also use a white noise machine because complete silence is just too silent. I almost need something to focus on. So I, I use ocean waves and that helps me put, get into that sleep rhythm at night. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I use an eye mask as well because it, like you said, any little light, if I get a blinking light on the computer that lights up a little bit, I focus on it and I can't fall asleep. So I wear an eye mask as well. Even if my phone lights up, like I could be facing the other way. If my phone lights up, that'll wake me up. So yeah, it's a good idea to check in with your senses. If you're particularly sensitive to light or noise, it might be a good idea to use earplugs or an eye mask if you need one. Make sure the temperature is cool or where you need it to be. Typically, we sleep a little bit better when the temperature is cooler, but there are some people that need the room a little bit warmer. Again, the important thing is that you're comfortable. Take a look at your bed sheets. Check out your mattress. Check out your pillow. Again, you're spending a third of your life sleeping. It's worth it to invest in a good mattress and a good pillow. Make sure you have good support for your body while, while you're you know, sleeping. Yeah. Most of these mattresses, nowadays, you can test them out for like 30 days or six months, something like that before you purchase them. So it's worth it to put some investment into that. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the stores, if you go in, one of the stores I went into, they actually have you lay down on a mattress that has computers in it. And it measures like where your pressure points are. And it like recommends a bed based on that. And I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, sales tactics that go into that. But it's, it's definitely interesting and helps you pick out a mattress better. Yeah, it's worthwhile putting some effort into picking out something that works for you. Yeah. So another thing that experts recommend that can help ensure a good night's rest is physical activity. Regular physical activity on a daily basis can promote better restful sleep. Exercising right before bed is okay. There's a common myth that you can't exercise right before bed. Now, if it's something like a walk or yoga or, you know, biking for a little bit, that's fine. You, you don't want to engage in high-intensity workout right before bed. You need, you know, a few hours to kind of let your heart rate and that sympathetic nervous system symptoms come down and relax before you try to go into bed and sleep. So essentially, you don't want to go from 100% to zero. You want a little bit of buffer in between. But exercising on a daily basis can definitely contribute to a more restful night's sleep. Yeah, that makes sense. So you wouldn't want to play like a hockey game and then try to go to bed. Exactly, exactly. But a, a nice walk may help you sleep a little bit better because you just got a little bit of physical activity in. And then managing your stress can also be helpful. I think a lot of people struggle here where we lay down, we are tired, we're ready to sleep. But just as we're about to drift off, all these worries come into our head like, hey, I got to do my laundry. I didn't pick up my dry cleaning. I have this bill to pay. Do you go through that? 100%. Not every night. Some nights more than others when I got something stressful going on. I do use a technique. I start counting back from... 99. So I go 99, 98, 97. And if I have a thought 
in between those counts, I start back over at 99 and I keep doing that for a while. So if, if I have a thought like I got to do the laundry or something like you just said, I'll start back up at 99. And then usually I do this several times and I'll eventually fall asleep. Okay. Interesting. And that usually works for you. It helps with repetitive, stressful thoughts before you're trying to fall asleep for me anyways. Okay. Yeah. What I tend to do is if it's not already on my to-do list, I will go in and, and put it on my to-do list. And and it's kind of like I'm mentally writing it on a note card and putting it away till the next day. Like, okay, now I know I need to do the laundry tomorrow and I can put that away for now and, and drift off to sleep. So another thing to think about is your food intake. You don't want to go to bed right after a heavy meal, but you don't want to go to bed on an empty stomach either. If you're hungry, your body's not going to let you sleep. You're going to have a difficult time kind of drifting off into the dreamland. So it might be a good idea to have a light snack right before you go to bed, especially if you're having dinner several hours before bedtime. I'm guilty of that. I usually eat big meals before I go to bed and I usually pay the consequence because sometimes you can get indigestion or heartburn as you're laying down. Yeah, yeah. So it's, if if you're going to have a heavy meal, it's good to have that at least two to three hours before bed. And if it's been a, several hours since you've had dinner, it's good to have a light snack to help keep that hunger at bay and help you drift off into sleep. Now, if you have consistently struggled from being able to fall asleep, stay asleep, if you're experiencing snoring or nightmares or any other symptoms that are significantly contributing to a lack of sleep, it might be a good idea to see a sleep specialist. This is a big pain point for me because, and I'll be transparent and straightforward, I didn't know I had sleep apnea and went and got a sleep study and it turned out I have sleep apnea. And that was a game changer. Realizing that I had sleep apnea, I got set up on the CPAP that you see so many people with nowadays. And I got to be straightforward with that. CPAP, it's a pain in the butt the first 30 days. It really is. And it's hard to navigate. But I tell all my clients, stick with it. Because once you figure it out, once you get the right mask and you get everything set up right, now I have dreams. My, my own personal anxiety and depression dropped uh, several notches. I explained it to people as I feel like, you know, those Zambonis that clean the the ice. Yeah. I feel like a Zamboni went through my brain and just cleaned it out when I get a good night's sleep. Oh, wow. That's it's amazing. night and day because I wasn't having dreams. I was having daytime sleepiness. I was having all the symptoms of a sleep disorder. So I tell all my clients, rule that out because that could be contributing to anxiety, depression, weight gain, it's something that can move the needle quite a bit and it's worth investigating and trying to figure it out. So since you've been through this, can you share with our listeners like what is happening during sleep apnea that's causing all these problems? Yeah. So there's different types of sleep apnea. And once again, I'm not an expert in sleep, so I want to put that out there. I just know the basics. My sleep apnea is called destructive sleep apnea. So basically it means that when I lay down, especially on my back, when I lay on my back, my throat closes a little bit. And I believe this is the most common type of sleep apnea as well. From what I yeah. know, yes, it's the most common type of sleep apnea. So what happens is that closes and then I have to, my body has to shoot full of adrenaline to wake me up so then I can start breathing again. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So you're getting these little spikes of adrenaline through the night and you never get down into really deep sleep. So you never get restfulness. Now there's different treatments for sleep apnea. I just happened to went to the CPAP one. There's surgeries, there's stimulating devices that you can have embedded in your throat. Right. There's all kinds of different strategies. There's mouth guards that pull the jaw forward so this doesn't happen. So in essence, instead of sleeping, I was anxious all night because I'm getting shots full of adrenaline because I'm not breathing. Basically, my brain is going, you're dying. Right. Yeah. Is not getting enough oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. You're dying. Here's adrenaline. Here's adrenaline. Here's adrenaline all night, every night. So instead of resting, your brain is sitting there scared all night that it's not getting enough air and oxygen. Yeah. It's on high alert. So that wears on you after a while. And then that's why it was night and day. Once I started getting the good night's sleep, I, I felt like my brain was clean. And there is some research around that. They did a research with mice and rats, and I don't have it in front of me, but where they actually can show that the brain cleans itself at night, you know, runs through the brain and, and it gets rid of all the byproducts from thinking and and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. It's preparing to be fresh for the next day. And if you're not getting the oxygen you need, it's not able to do that. Correct. Yeah. It never gets to that point. Yeah. So like Eric said, there are many treatment options for sleep apnea. You may not even know you have sleep apnea. We do recommend if you're experiencing any any type of significant disruptive snoring, it might be a good idea to get that checked out with the sleep specialist. And then the specialist will discuss with you what might be the best treatment options for you. But like Eric said, it's definitely worth checking into because sleep is just so important and you want your sleep to be restorative for you. Yeah. And, you know, I have clients that come to me and they're anxious and depressed. I could give you all the medication in the world, but if you're not getting good sleep, it's not going to do anything. Right. The sleep is the problem. So fix that if you can. Okay. Well, let's go over some of the don'ts. Let's go over some of the do nots. Sounds good. So, you know, the number one thing I kept reading over and over was about caffeine. So the recommended daily limit for caffeine is 400 milligrams. Now, nobody is going around recommending not to drink caffeine at all. It's okay to have up to 400 milligrams. But most experts do recommend that you cut off consumption somewhere between four to eight hours before bed. Now, this varies from person to person. I have friends who, you know, swear by tea with caffeine right right before bed and they still sleep okay. Now, me personally, I have a little bit of caffeine and I can't sleep for days. I'm the same way. I actually cut out my caffeine intake because it was affecting my sleep, even if I drank it super early in the morning. It still affected my sleep. Yeah, and it, it just depends on how sensitive you are to the caffeine. So if you do drink caffeine on a regular basis, check in with yourself. See how late you're drinking it in the day. Pay attention to how much caffeine you're drinking and try to limit it to that 400 milligrams so it's not disrupting your sleep. Now, 400 milligrams, how does somebody know they're drinking 400 milligrams? That's the hard thing because if you go to a Starbucks one of those giant coffee cups that I, I wonder if that has 400 milligrams. Yeah, I'm honestly not sure because I am so sensitive to caffeine. I try to stay away from it. But I imagine those Starbucks drinks do have uh, quite a bit of caffeine in there. Yeah. And there's other things that have caffeine in it, not just coffee. Tea has caffeine. And then, of course, the energy drinks. 
sometimes people take vitamins and supplements, especially if they're vitamins and supplements to help with energy. A lot of times there's some hidden caffeine in there as well. So if, if you tend to take supplements, you might want to check that out. Pre-workout supplements are notorious for caffeine because they give you the energy to get through the workout. So watch those. Another thing recommended to avoid around bedtime that can disrupt with sleep is nicotine. It interferes with sleep and sleep architecture, and it's recommended that you not use any nicotine for at least a few hours before bedtime. And then the same thing goes with alcohol. Now, many people will have a drink in the evening to wind down, and although alcohol does have a central nervous system depressing effect and can help you relax, it has been shown consistently in studies to disrupt with normal sleep patterns and rhythms. So although it helps us kind of shut down and relax, it does not contribute to that restorative sleep. It actually pulls away from it. So alcohol suppresses rapid eye movement sleep. Now, this is the stage of sleep. We often call it REM. That is associated with memory consolidation. And we need at least three or four rounds of this REM sleep in order for our sleep to be considered a good quality and restorative and, and alcohol, especially right before bedtime, unfortunately, that's when most of us drink alcohol as well, definitely keeps us from being able to have that normal sleep pattern. Yeah, alcohol in general is no good for mental health. It makes you more depressed. It's definitely going to affect your sleep. And then your sleep is going to get worse, and then you're going to get more depressed. So if you can stay away from alcohol, it's just best to stay away from it. There's really nothing great that it does. And I think most of the research shows that. They used to think a glass of wine could help with heart problems, but now they're, they're starting to show, nah, it's not really worth it. The alcohol counteracts that. It seems like the effects of alcohol on protecting heart mechanisms are not that significant. It's, it's possible, but the risks outweigh the benefits. Yeah. Most of the research shows you can get that elsewhere besides alcohol. Exactly. The other thing is consuming alcohol can increase snoring. And we, we've just talked about what snoring can do. It, it can, you know, cause a lack of oxygen to the brain. So, you know, a whole nother reason to avoid alcohol as well. So, and, and I, I just want to reiterate this point because I know a lot of people, a lot of us can turn to alcohol to help wind down. But just, just to keep in mind that it, it can be very disruptive to our sleep architecture. Yeah. And one of our other podcasts, we talk about avoidance. So alcohol usually just makes you avoid things anyways. Speaking of avoiding, people do recommend that you avoid napping, if at all possible. If you do need to nap, limit it to one hour or less. There are a lot of people who take 20-minute power naps. I don't know how they do it. If I lay down for a nap, I'm done for the day. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I don't nap. Yeah, once I lay down, I'm out. Try to avoid naps if you need one. Limit it to one hour and definitely avoid naps later in the day so they're not disrupting with your night sleep schedule. Now, one of the most important things was technology. Turning off those screens at least 60 minutes, if not more, before bedtime. And, and this is so important because I know a lot of us are guilty of scrolling on her phone and watching TV immediately before bed. How do you handle this? I'm guilty of that. I have a hard time cutting that off. But I do set a timer before I go to bed. And so I do have that wind down time. I try to turn off my notifications. 
because if I, if I don't turn off my notifications in the middle of the night, I'll get a notification from some random app and then yeah. I'll pick up my phone and then I'll start scrolling or doing something. And now I'm wide awake and I can't fall asleep for the next hour. Right. Right. So turn on. Do not disturb. Yeah. And, and studies have shown consistently that the light emitted from screens does disrupt normal processes in the brain. And, and it, it kind of signals our brain to stay awake. So it's it's a great idea to get off those screens, you know, as quick as you can right before bedtime. Yeah. A lot of the phones, I know the iPhone and I think some of the Androids have, they turn off the blue light because blue light is supposed to represent daytime for your brain. And right. they have brown light. Yeah, I think it's more about the artificial light. And that kind of goes into what we were talking about earlier. If you are sensitive to light, use an eye mask, check out the lighting in your room. So yeah, I think it's more about artificial light entering in through your eyes and then causing those signals in your brain that keeps you from being able to shut down. Absolutely. So we've talked about a few things today. And to summarize, the major to-dos is having a good bedtime routine, going to bed and waking up at the same time every day, setting the mood, checking out your lighting, making sure your sheets and bed and pillows are comfortable, Engaging in regular physical activities, spending time outdoors can help promote a more restful sleep, managing your stress, eating well, and seeing a sleep specialist if you're having symptoms that are particularly disruptive at night for you. And then the don'ts or things to avoid would be caffeine, alcohol, nicotine, limiting naps, and avoiding any lights and technology more towards bedtime. Now, Listeners, we would love to invite you to share with us what has or has not worked for you in your bedtime routine. Feel free to drop us comments on our page and let us know what your experience has been. Once again, thank you for listening to our podcast. And those of you that have taken time to leave reviews and contact us through Instagram, thank you. You can see the show notes at stuckbrainpodcast.com. You can also visit us on Instagram at stuckbrainpodcast, and you can leave what topics you want to hear next.